Last week I started this text and I wanted us to see some things that I believe we struggle with. We, I'm not talking about Castle Rock. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm not talking about your co-workers. I'm not talking about people that you may fellowship with that don't attend this church. I'm talking about you guys. You who are part of Castle Rock Baptist Church. I want to kind of get everybody on the same place because we all have heard this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You deal with Baptists, you deal with Orthodox Christianity, and they will tell you over and over and over and over again that you have been saved by grace through faith. And the faith is even a free gift from God. The faith to believe is a free gift from God. And we all like that verse. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We think that's great. We like that. And then we all get busy for Jesus. Because I have been saved by grace through faith. But he says this. This free gift that saved you is because it is not a result from works that no one will boast. So how busy for Jesus are you going to be? Alright? Because if you're busy for Jesus, then you have an ability to boast. Speaking with Dr. Zodiotis a few years ago, and he made a comment on us. Me and him kind of hit it off. We have one thing that we have in common, um, probably just one thing, too, um, is that he has a tremendous love for history. I love history. And he said in his study of the history of the church, no time in history has she been as haughty as she is right now. Okay, what does that mean? She's busy. And she has great works, and she is boasting of her great works. Okay, let me show you the rest of that verse. We are his workmanship. Okay, do we understand that? Your outline has two points in it, and it's going to be that way for this whole series. There's just two points what he has done, and what you will do, what you need to do. That's it. Two points, and you will see something very amazing here. I dealt with the book of Ephesians, basically, in an overview study last week. And dealing with that book, basically, you saw what he has done. Basically. And in light of that, husbands are able to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are able to submit to their husband as unto the Lord. Children have the ability to obey their parents. And they can none of that happen if the first part of the book hasn't happened. First part of the book. But I want to take you a little deeper than that. Why? Because if I am his workmanship, I am created where? In Christ Jesus. For what reason? Good works. Read what it says after that. Which God what? Prepared beforehand. Alright, do you see see that? He gave you grace so that you could have faith to believe. Why? So His glory would be manifested in you and you can't boast about it. And then He goes on and says, because you are His workmanship, right? 
And you were created to these works beforehand. And all you do is what? Walk in them. That's it. It's already prepared. It's already there. Have you ever struggled with what is the will of God for you? Walk in what he's done. That's his will. Walk in what he's done. That's his will. Okay? Move over quickly to chapter 4. Verse 7. I want to, I'm just touching these. I did, I did, I'm not going to dwell on them. Speaking of this mystery, the Apostle Paul, he says, because this mystery is so amazing, I believe I am a prisoner of God. I have got to ask you guys this question this day. Okay? Do you believe that you are a prisoner of the Lord? Does your lives look like you are a prisoner of the Lord? Let me phrase it this way. You've been taken captive by Christ. Okay? Because those who have been captivated by Christ, overwhelmed by Christ, run over by Jesus, understand verse 7. To each one of us, grace. See what he says. Look what he says. Please what he says. It doesn't say gifts. It says what? Grace. Oh, that would be unmerited favor. Yes, unmerited favor has been entrusted to us according to what? The measure of Christ's gifts. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the limits on Christ's gifts? When you think about the joy of the Lord, what is the limit of that? When you think about the mercy of the Lord, what is the limit on that? When you think about the love of the Lord, what is the limit on that? See, the key to verse 7 is not the grace nor the gift. It is the measure of what Christ has given. We looked at it last week. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Did you hear what I said? What is missing? Why do we act like we have a whole bunch of stuff missing? Why do we live lives that don't look fulfilled? Why do we look, look we live lives that we're not content? We're not happy. We're always striving for more. If He has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. And it is only according to the measure of Christ. That's all it is. Just that measure. What? Now ask yourself this question. Really, you guys got to think with me right now. Okay? What was the limit of what Christ gave you? What did he, what did he limit you in? Now, come on. What did he limit you in? Then are you telling me that the life you live is then what? In limited response to Christ? 
or unlimited response to Christ. Why would you refrain to Christ? Why would you hold back to Christ? Because he's already given. He's already given that you can outgive him. See, he understands who we are and what we are. All right? And he understood that unless I show it and lay it all out and show you what I have, you won't understand it. And so when he came, he gave what? All of it. He withheld zero. And then he says, follow me. Follow me. How many in this room today, small as this is, how many in this room today are trying to follow him? Okay? But what are you holding back? You can't hold anything back. I had an opportunity this week to deal with some Christian schools. One of the chaperones or teachers, I guess I think she was a teacher, she had a a shirt on, and it said redeemed. A t-shirt said redeemed on. So she got up to the top of this climbing tower, and I asked her, I said, do you know what the word redeemed means in the original language? And she said, what? She says, what does it mean? And I said, bought at slave auction. When the person would walk up on that block, how much is my bid for this slave? Have you ever thought of Red Hosea? When Gomer was standing up there and Hosea went back and bought what was already his. That's what Jesus did. That's mine. I bought it. I own it. How much? That much. That much. Okay. If that's true, look at verse 13. Here's what it looks like. What does it look like? Attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. Way too many imperatives there. Okay. Did you read that? What did he say? I can't understand that. I can't. I can't grasp that. Do you understand what he said? Look what he says. We will attain what? The unity of faith. Think about verse 7 again. To the measure of Christ's gifts. What did he give? It's easier to answer this way. What did he withhold? What did he withhold from you? Nothing. So why do I strive so hard to get more? Why do I believe I need to do this and this and this so I can have more? How much did he give? Well, he gave enough that we can attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You got that? And the knowledge of the Son of God. How do I get the knowledge of the Son of God? How am I going to gain this knowledge? Because see, he's already given it, right? Because it's based on the measure of his gift. So how do I appropriate that? How do I go down to the knowledge of God library and get that book? How do I grab that? He gives that before. 
Verse 11. He gave. Now grab this. But I want you to understand this because I'm going to jump over here and I'm going to show you something that's just going to flat out knock your socks off. Okay? He says he gave. All right? What did he gave? Well, it's going to be he gave according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right? You get that? So when you think about him giving, understand that it's only based on the measure of Christ's gift. So what did he give? He gave some to be apostles. That would be the guy who's writing this book. Paul. He gave some to be evangelists. That would be Philip. Billy Graham. Okay. But he also, or yeah, some to be prophets and apostles. Those are the foundation stones. Then what does he do? He gives evangelists. And what are those doing? They're the sheep collectors. They just go out and gather sheep. And then they give them to who? Who's next? Who's Pastor teachers, where are those at? In the church. How can I grow in the knowledge of God if I'm not in the church? How can I grow in the usefulness of God if I'm not in the church? Have anybody ever ever thought of that? Did you ever think that the church is a gift from God to you? People ask, well, why do you teach so much? I'm supposed to. Why? Because I don't believe that we've attained the unity of the faith. And I don't believe that you all have that great solid knowledge of the Son of God. And I don't believe that you're, there's that as many who think they are are mature men. And I don't believe that the fullness of Christ is being manifested. <clears throat> Until those things are done, I'm on track. I'm on track. Okay? There is a purpose. There is a priority that we see here. Correct? Um, I, I need to take you back on another little verse because it's, this book is, is amazing. Turn back because he's laying out some things here. Because God has given you, this is what you should do. Because of what has been given. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul and he makes this statement. <clears throat> this gift that was given to him, he was a minister of the gospel, a servant of the gospel. Why? Because it's still based on what he pins off of, of the measure of Christ's gift. That's amazing stuff. I ask people, well, I don't ask people. <clears throat> I've talked to my wife a few times, and I told her that, and she knows my love for the church, for the bride of Christ, Okay? And that it is second to nothing. I have a passion for a zeal, whatever you... I am overwhelmed in my love for the bride of Christ. Okay? Uh, you know, some would even say to a fault. Uh, but I know some of my other faults and this fault I'm willing to tolerate. Okay? When I leave this planet, I pray that I am remembered solely for that. There's a man who loved the church, who loved the bride of Christ. Um, I don't have any idea where I'm at right now, but <clears throat> that's my plan. You know why I am that way? Because <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was. I think that probably now in, in my years of life, my closest friend is the Apostle Paul. Okay? And um, we always talk about... I've heard it mentioned, accountability. You've got to have accountability. You know, I'm accountable to the Apostle Paul. Okay? 
Because at some point, I'm going to have to look him in the eye. And I want him to know that I was just trying to follow him. Why? Because he had his daily concerns for the church. Okay? I have that, my daily concerns for the church. And what is the mission that I have? Well, I've, I've kind of touched on it, and you see that. But I want to show you something in part of the passion. And I'll, I'll be honest with you all this day. Um, yeah, there's some self-motivation here. I mean, there's, there, there's something in this for me. And I see it in chapter 3. He starts at verse 8, to me, very least of all the saints, this grace is given. There's that grace again. What grace was given? That he could be a minister according to the gift of God's grace given to me according to the working of whose power? His power. See that right there? Verse 7. Okay, he's talking about the fact that, you know what God has told me to do? Preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I can't believe that. That he's actually given me that privilege. He's allowing me to do that. And he says, what is really cool about it, that is because of his grace to me. That I have become a servant of the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. The unfathomable. You know what that means? Unfathomable. I can't get a hold of it. I can't get my arms around this thing. I can't understand what? The riches of Christ. And it's been given to me to preach this to the Gentiles. To bring light. To bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. You know what that means? To plug the mystery in so that it is viewable. Okay? Which for ages has been hidden in God. Whom created all things. Okay? Why? Because here's where we're going, because this is how this is all playing out. Watch this. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be... Did you hear what he said there? It's not in the process of being. It, it might now be. The manifold wisdom of God. The multiness, the multicoloredness of God. God's wisdom might be made known where? <coughs> We're not real sure about that statement, are we? All of the wisdom of God would be known where? What about parachurch ministries? Well, I thought all the wisdom of God was revealed in seminary. Where is it? <coughs> Who will it be revealed to? Read your text. To the rulers? And what? In the heavenly places. You know what that is? <coughs> that would be the ruling and the authoritative angels in heaven. Now you see why I love the church. Now you see why I have a passion for the church. Now you see why I want to be in church. Now you see why uh, I grasp at church. Do you see why I even, my wife gets a little annoyed at me at times on this. Not so bad here lately. But do you see, even now, I schedule my vacations around churches. I'll take a little vacation in March, first week of March. I'm going to go out to L.A. for a few days. To Grace Community 
church. Okay, I'm going to take a vacation maybe mid-July, set in the pool in Albuquerque for the Equip Conference at Hoffmantown Church. I'm thinking about going to Memphis at the end of November. My birthday is in November. My wife's birthday is in the first week of December. And I'm thinking about celebrating my wife's birthday and my birthday at the same time in Memphis, Tennessee, at the Stephen Olford Institute for Biblical Preaching. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? You're just a regular party animal, ain't you? Why? I love the church. Why? The church is the manifold wisdom, the manifestation of all of God's wisdom unto the heavenlies. Unto the heavenlies. Okay, that is the introduction. That is the introduction. Uh, It's kind of cool because I want to drop over now to Romans 8. Okay, Romans 8, because I need to ask you guys some questions. I got to ask you some questions. God has this purpose. He has a plan. Remember, we are His workmanship created unto good deeds that He preordained. He understood. This is what I need to accomplish and this is how I will accomplish it. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through the church. I'm going to do it so miraculously through the church that when the church is manifested in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, it will be my manifold wisdom rising up to the heavenlies and the angelic hosts will be going, whoa, dude, did you see that? So what is that purpose? Have you ever understood, asked yourself, what is God's purpose? Huh? Okay, well, I know. I get some people saved and get this thing kind of cleaned up and we'll get out of here, right? Yeah, I understand. You know, is that really perfect? Let me ask you a specific. I want to t- talk to each and every single one of you today. I'm going to go start with Jaco, the smallest to Al, sorry. But anyway, um, and everybody that's in between, I want everybody to think about it right now. Okay, set, set it aside. Set it aside. What is God's purpose for you? For you. What does God, he's done this by the riches of his grace we looked at last week. He has given these things. He has blessed us in the heavenlies with every spiritual gift in the heavenlies. He has blessed us and it's only based on the measure of Christ's gift. That's it. Okay. He has done all of this thing in and it's for his, he has a purpose. What is that purpose? Right now, what is that purpose? What is that purpose? Okay, you've got to ask yourself these questions. Uh, If you have kids, you may think, well, it's just to survive. No. Uh, If 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 the newlyweds are just to have kids, and then you'll get to kids and you'll say, now I need to survive. And, And so it's just a vicious circle. What is God's purpose right now for you? I don't care what your age is. You know, I, I brought out that I'd like to take the youth group over and spend a summer, uh, a July, a couple of weeks in Russia, reaching the Russian kids in them little camps. Okay, and the kids are going, hey, man, that'd be kind of cool. No, it ain't, man. You don't know the language. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you're all sitting around going, hey, guys, speaking Russian. But 
We always think about these things. Well, mission trip, we, we need to help Katrina. We need to help with, you know, the, the, the evacuees or whatever we're going to call them this day. All right, we, gotta, we need to do this maybe. Or we maybe do what is God's purpose? Do you know what? God's purpose for his people is the most simple thing that's ever been in holy writ. Did you know that? It is not complicated. He doesn't hide it and say, if you get to the Rubik's Cube of prayer and, and fasting and Lord's table and church attendance and Sunday school classes, then all of a sudden, da-da, there it is. That ain't the way he does it. Why? Because he knows you and I are like sheep, which means that we're not on the smartest level of animals. What is... God's purpose. Okay? And I know I can sum it up in one little phrase. A little bitty phrase. Romans chapter 8. We read this and we've heard this so many times. Let's... uh, let me set to you where Romans 8 is. He's just come out of 7, 6 and 7, 5, 6 and 7, which is justification because you're all sinners. <clears throat> and he starts it off with what has God given you? What he's done is verse 1. Therefore, in light that Christ died for the ungodly, Christ died for the fact that no one seeks him. Okay, Christ died for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Those who believe, And Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? There's no condemnation. None. Zilch. Okay? There's none. Did you hear me? And there's a whole bunch that is in this text that is amazing. Uh, I've heard people describe that Romans is... The true manifestation of all that Christ is. I heard Dr. Olfer say that that's true, but Romans 8 is the cathedral <laughs> of where God is. Okay, and Romans 8 is what I call my Holy Spirit text. If I'm going to teach on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is spoken more in one chapter in Romans chapter 8 than anywhere else in all of Scripture. Okay, but I want us to focus on something. Verse 29. Every child of God has a purpose. Every child of God has a purpose. He starts out with some words that cause us some controversy. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. <laughs> I don't like them kind of things. That says the worst man's free will. Not a, a lot of controversy. I ain't worried about the controversy because I'm looking at God's sovereignty in that verse. God's sovereignty says those that he already knew, he already planned. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Who can thwart God's plan? Okay, so those he already knew, he has a plan for. Already. He already has a plan for. That's cool. Don't you think that's cool? I like to think that God had a plan. God doesn't look up one day and look over and say, well, what's he doing? Where'd he come from? Who's that? Okay, I like the fact that God says, you know what? I knew you. When? Before I even laid the foundations of the earth. Okay, so I knew you. 
So those he foreknew, he says, I have a plan. I have a predetermined plan. Well, I happen to disagree. Fine, disagree. Disagree. I can change my will at any given moment. Fine, do it. Just do it. Go ahead. Okay? And what you really need to do is just take your pencil and take verse 29 and scratch it out. It doesn't apply to you. All right? No problem. I don't have a problem. You don't like foreknow and predestined? Great. Don't. Just scratch it out. Okay? There's a few others you're going to have to do, but when you get there, you'll just scratch them out when you get to them. It's not that hard. Okay? Those that he foreknew, he predestined, and here is your purpose for life. I do not care who you are. I do not care your age. I do not care your educational background. I do not care your place in societal order. I do not care what your degree is. I do not care what your attitude nor your actions are. I do not care what your plans for the future are. I do not care where you're going to take your honeymoon, where you're going to take your vacations. I don't care where you plan on sending your kids to college. I don't care what you plan on doing. I don't care who you want to marry. I do not care what you think you might marry. I don't care. You have a singular purpose in life. One purpose in life. Understand this message. Its title is for Christians only. You have a purpose. What is that purpose? To be conformed into the image of His Son. Pretty easy. Don't you think? Verses 5 through 8 of this text, I'll give you the contrast. Because you need to know where you came from. Where'd you come from? For those who, walk, who, those who according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Stop right there. Those who set their, thing, their minds on the things of the world, what? That's what it basically is saying. You know what the tragedy in the church that exists today? You know what the tragedy I see in some of your lives? What's your mind set on? What's your mind set on? Let me, here's how I look at this from my perspective. When I study a text and run into something like this, what do I spend most of my time thinking about? What, what is going through my mind you know, maybe when I'm driving in traffic or maybe when I'm sitting at home by myself or maybe I'm standing in the checkout line at the grocery store or, or something to that effect. Whenever I'm just kind of cruising through, what am I thinking about? Because it says here that the mind, <clears throat> according to the flesh, those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. You know what that means? It's temporal. What is for me now? Will this feel good? Will this feel bad? Will this feel rewarding? Will this feel unrewarding? Will this make me happy? Will this make me sad? Will this make me smile? Will this make me blue? Will this make me happy? Can I be happy or will I cry? Will I be sorrowful in this? Will I do this? Will this make me joyful? Will this fulfill something maybe I had planned when I was just a little kid? Will this, you know, will this give me some spending money so I can get a new CD, a new download? Maybe I can save up and get me an iPod. What am I sitting there thinking of? That's the things. But I want to finish this verse, okay? For the mindset on the flesh is what? 
death. But the mindset on the spirit is what? What does it say? Life. And what? Peace. How many people in here like conflict, confrontation? Huh? Let's just stir it up. Right? How many of us seek that? It's a joy. I'm going after this. Why? I can make this person mad. But how many of us want peace? And let me ask you a question. What sacrifice are you willing to give to just be at peace? And then when you arrive at that place, how fragile is that peace? When you finally get peace, how difficult is it to hold on to that? peace okay look at our world look around look at the church look at the people who are not here today and look at the people who are here today and ask yourself who is at peace and who's not look around you who's at peace who is at ease who does not have conflict and i will ask this simple question what is their mindset on what is their mindset on Okay, look what he started this with. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Now watch this one. This is for you. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his son in likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Do you see what he just did? He's saying you can memorize your Bible from front to back, top to bottom, left to right, and your flesh has absolutely no ability to do it. Okay? Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What you have begun in the spirit, you now are perfected in the flesh? Hey, you know, I got saved. I got to get busy for Jesus. Paul says you can't. You can't. Why? Because you'll get up and you'll try something. I'm going to love today like Jesus loved. And one of the nastiest humans in the, all of creation will want to hang out with you all day and just want to make you smile. Why? And you'll struggle with it. And inside, you'll be doing your Christian stuff going, smiling real big. I'm happy, joy, joy, Christian, believer, love, love, tranquility. I wish this one would go to heaven. (laughs) You've all done it. Haven't you? I'd give anything if I could have Paul's thorn in the flesh. But I've got this one. You know what Jesus just proved to you? He said that the mind that is set on the flesh. And the flesh leads to death. The mind, death, that is that mindset. And you have rejected what the spirit offers, which is already given, which is life and peace. Life and peace. That's what God's already done. 
It's already done. Drop down. Look at 10 and 11. If the Spirit of Him... Now, here's, here's that one that always gets people into trouble. Let me go with 9. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And then the greatest if that ever exists in all of humanity. If, indeed, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen, what he's saying is, if the Spirit of God don't dwell in you, what's he say? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, what? He does not belong to him. That's the ones that Jesus will look at and say, away from me, I never knew you. Okay, great big if there, isn't it? So what, but what he says here, if the Spirit is in you, you're not of the flesh. What has God done? He has given you the Spirit. Why? So you won't be of the flesh. Because the flesh is set on what? Mindset on the flesh. Look at verse 7. That'll bum you out. The mindset on the flesh is what? My word, my translation, New American Standard says is hostile. You know what that means? It's antagonistic. It wants to fight. Okay, it's hostile. It's one of those, come on, make my day. I'm about to fix you. I'm going to paint your wagon. Okay, but who is it hostile to? God. Did you see what he just said there? The mindset on the flesh, which has been robbed of life and peace, is hostile to God. It does not, read what it says next. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to. It doesn't have the ability. How many Christians do you know today who say, I don't have time to read my Bible? How many Christians do you know today who says, I can't read my Bible, I can't understand that thing? What if the word if in them has the wrong direction and they're not indwelt with the Spirit of God? Okay? Flesh can only, 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 hear me well, hear me well. The flesh can only be beaten by the Spirit of the living God, period. Period. Why? There's a purpose. There's a purpose. Verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is my weakness? My flesh. For we don't even know how to pray. <laughs> Have you ever prayed? You ever heard this? One? If this be your will, let it happen. You ever done that? If this be your will, and then you can look at the person, and then you blame God. He blamed God. It didn't happen, so it must not have been His will. Now all of a sudden, it's God's fault. Well, I wanted old Billy Bob to be saved, but he didn't. Did you pray for him once? Did you live a Christian life around him? Well, no, I never saw him that much. Oh. We blame God. It wasn't His will. Daggone it. You can't do that, people. Because it says here that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes through us through groanings too deep. Do you understand what that means? There's times when I don't have a clue what the will is, 
And there's times when I'm in such a place that my heart is so hurt, so, he- so heavy that all I can do is cry. And all I can say is, God, help me in whatever situation I'm in. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul said, I had a thorn in my flesh. And I asked three times that it be removed. And God's response was, my what? Grace. Don't you find that amazing? That you can be afflicted in such an awful way that you're begging God? And he says, my grace is sufficient. And yet, how many of us in this, this room right now are living a life based on his predetermined, foreknown grace? Right now. I'm not cruising around looking for it. You know, I think God hid a bucket of grace around here, and if I can find that sucker, I'm going to be in good shape. He says, you already have it. But you negate it when you set your mind on what? Say things of the flesh. God's not going to honor that. He's not going to honor that. He says, I've given you the Spirit, and He will give you life and peace. And yet, we can consistently live according to the flesh. Why? We think it's going to be better. He helps us in our weaknesses. He searches the hearts and knows the minds of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to what? To the will of God. Then here's that verse. We know... Okay, intellectually, I have gathered all this information and there's no doubt in my mind I've experienced it, I've studied it, I've looked at it, it's been revealed to me, I bear witness and testimony to these are the workings of God. We know that God causes almost everything. Is that what it says? No. He says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who what? Who what? Love God. They love God. They love God. Well, how do you love God? Well, chapter 5, verse 10 says, The love of God has been poured into your heart through the Spirit. You have that already given. Do you know that you have the ability right now, this very day, to love God as God loved you? Do you know what that means? God took on the veil of humanity... To die in your place to pay a penalty that was due to you. And God says, now I'm going to put my righteousness on you. And you're going to do what with it? I'm going to dwell in the flesh and be grumpy. He put his righteousness on you. You have been clothed in Christ's righteousness so that you can be manifestation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We sang this song, Light of the World, You Step Down into Darkness. You sang those words. Do you know that now you are the light of the world walking in the darkness? It isn't anything you did. God did it for you. We call that grace. It is now the way I treat my kids. Is it by grace? The way I treat co-workers, is it by grace? The way I treat lost people, is it by grace? The way I treat humanity, is it by 
grace? Do I look like Jesus Christ? Because my purpose on this planet, this moment, and for every day that he graces me is to be conformed into the image of his son. And he says, I cause all things to work for my good, for my children. My children, every calamity, every heartache, every grief, everything that hits you, God says, is slowly conforming you into the image of Jesus. And yet, what is our response? We run back to the flesh. Let me fix it. I can fix that. He has already done it, brothers and sisters. For all those being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. How many people are anxious? How many people are fearful? It doesn't lead you there. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, which we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy to God. That's verse 15. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. If children were heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Here's the problem. Who wants to stand up and get suffer with Jesus? Let me ask you a question. What if that's the predetermined plan? There's a nasty thought. But let me ask you also a question. You look around in this fellowship right now, and I guarantee you what's going on in this church right now will scare you. It should. It should draw all of us to our knees and weeping for the saints of God. We should be overwhelmingly desperate right now for God help us. And I'm not sure I see that. Sorry. We have a lot of stuff on our plates that is important, don't we? And some of it really seems spiritually important, doesn't it? But did he bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Did he say you're a joint heir with Christ? Did he say, my love is poured in your heart? Did he say, I am taking everything because I foreknew you. I have predetermined that this is the path that you will be on because I am going to have you conformed into the image of my son. You're going to look just like him. You're going to look just like him. All of his nature, his attributes, his actions. You're going to look just like him. Peace and life purpose it's all going to be there it's already there i've already given it why because you're just joint heirs you're just joint heirs we're considered a sleep to sheep to slaughter i ain't gonna slaughter you ain't take me no slaughter drop down i want to wrap this up god we know that god causes all things to work together to good of those who love god okay we know that to those who are called According to his purpose. 
Do you understand that you were called not to hang out for eternity? Did you, did you know that? Verse 29. Here's the purpose. Conformed in the image of the Son. So you'd be the firstborn among many believers. Those whom He predestined, He called. And these He called, He what? Justified. And these whom He justified, what? He glorified. He glorified. John 17 says, My glory... Boy, I hope they can find out where I hid it. No, my glory... I've given Him. I've given Him. You know what He's done? He's already given it to us. It's already there. It's already there. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you the Spirit to bear witness with yours. I've given you prayer. I've given you a a, a supernatural mystery manifest that will literally be my manifest wisdom to the heavenlies. It's right there in front of you. You're part of it. All of it's going to conform you to the image of God. All of it. Why? We're going to be that image. We're going to be the wisdom of God. Why? What is? Think about it. I shared with you that the manifold wisdom of God through the knowledge of His Son would be manifested to the authorities and rulers in the heavenlies. Okay? You want me to show you what this manifestation is? 829. 829. Those naked and depraved God hating people who were more concerned about their flesh who reveled in their sin who had blackness in their heart who none seek after God no not one there is none righteous no not one not one of them could even get close they can't untie the sandals of my son's shoes but my wisdom manifest in them will make them into the image of my holy, righteous, sinless son. And the angels are going to go, wow. We saw God fling the stars into the heavenlies. We've seen him make molecules. We've seen him make galaxies. We've seen him make solar systems, atmospheres, waters, planets, suns, moons, stars. And nothing compares to the transformation of a child of Satan into a child of God. And what are you going to do to accomplish that? That's impossible. Jesus smiled real big and said, nothing's impossible for God. That's why when Dr. Olfer says, the cathedral of Christianity is Romans 8. Why? Because in Ephesians 3, it says that the church will be the manifold wisdom of God. And the angels, the rulers and the authorities in the heavens are going to be sitting there going, wow. Why? I've taken the most vile thing that has ever been created and made it the most holy. That is our God's power. Why do I love the church? Well, duh. That's why I love the church. That's why I love the saints. I don't care where they're at. I don't care if they're wallowing in their sin and they don't have a clue. I don't care. Oh, I'm not going to church. He preaches too long or he doesn't preach long. I ain't never been accused of that one. But 
I don't care. Why? God tells me you find faithful men and entrust them what I've given you. Why? Because I'm slowly being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And I want everybody that ever crosses my path to have that life and that peace. That's why I do what I do. Did you get that? Did you understand that? I don't have to worry about who's going to get married. I don't have to worry about who's going to have kids or shouldn't have kids or whatever. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about my job. I don't have to worry about my retirement. I don't have to worry about whether I get down to Mississippi. I don't have to worry about any of that. Why? I'm an heir. I'm a joint heir of God. Joint heir. Gee whiz. Twenty-nine through. I'm just going to finish this out. I'm just going to read it, and we're going to close. I think Paul summarizes it very well. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those these he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through Him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Lord, I just praise you for what you've already done. Lord, I lift these precious people to you, young and old. Father, I feel so feeble trying to teach a text like this. Father, may your spirit in your people show us the reality of what we already have. What we as Christians already have. It's ours. Father, let us rest there. Let us die to ourselves. Father, let us understand the purpose. The purpose conformed to the image of Christ. So that, Lord, 
your wisdom and your power will be manifested in each of us. Father, let us draw to the unity of faith. Father, let us hunger and thirst for the knowledge of Christ, for his kingdom, for his righteousness. And Father, may we be the fullness of Christ manifested in this oh such dark world. Father, begin with me. Begin with me. Father, and I know this is your will. I praise you in Christ's name.